0: I got
1: him. You got it. You stay out here. Y'all keep out here. Yeah, see the body. See that?
0: Yep. Well, I think they locking your butt up, what I think. I, I think you've be. been lying to me this whole thing. You did get him right. I think you're a liar, what I think.
1: Definitely did.
0: You've got the freaking box. You've got the dead gun. Man, I'm telling you, all I know
2: is the guy told me that they were suspects in a murder case. The first thing that pulled in my head was that Gun, and I don't know what the f- is going on, but I want to f- know
3: <laughs> This is Samantha Wolford, a young mother, a wife, and an aspiring YouTuber turned ruthless killer.
4: Hey guys, I was asked to do a uh, video 15 weird things about me.
3: She has arrived at the sheriff's office for routine questioning after her husband was kidnapped during an alleged home invasion. It was an unthinkably sadistic plot. The abduction of a young father and a futile race against the clock to find him before it was too late. Rewind approximately six years. Samantha, a single mother of 10-month-old twin girls, was just 19 years old when she met 23-year-old Ernie Ibera Jr., who was known to friends as Dagan. The two began a relationship which soon turned to marriage, and eventually the couple had three children together. Although they were doing their best to get by in the small town of Mount Pleasant, located in Titus County, Texas, the relationship was already starting to crumble. It was no secret that the couple had their problems. However, it ended up escalating to a point of no return, and no one had anticipated things would end in such a shockingly tragic way.
5: County 911, what's your emergency? I have a home invasion. My niece is tied up. I I, I am at the verge of untying my niece at this particular moment. Okay, she's tied up. She is tied up and gagged. And gagged? Is that what yes, you said? ma'am? Is there anybody else there? Where are the kids? The, we have five small infants asleep. Five small infants asleep? Yes, ranging from seven to one. Seven to one years old? Yes, ma'am. Does she know... Um, no, Samantha, did you know who the suspect's are? Can I talk to her? Is she able to speak? Yes, ma'am. Hello? Hi, Samantha. I know you're upset, but I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Do you need EMS? No, they didn't do anything to be the hippie wife. She's advising no. Uh, they only hit her once. Okay. I just asked my aunt if it was bruising or anything, and she said no. They hit me the face. Okay, um... I hit you in the face? Yeah, um, they had me tied up, and they dragged me down the stairs to face my husband. And when my husband went in and faced me, they hit me in the face, like, backhand slapped me. And so he looked at me and then, and they said, I thought that would get your attention. And I want you to stare at this woman. Do you want us to kill her? And he said, no. And they said, then tell us the truth. And he said, I don't know
3: anything. When someone gives way too many details on a 911 call, this can be a warning sign that they may not be telling the truth. The purpose of a 911 call is to get help immediately. As Samantha is not currently in danger anymore, her primary focus should be on getting help finding her husband. Instead of requesting that officers be sent right away to search for him, she's telling an elaborate story about what supposedly happened there's no sense of urgency in getting her husband found. If someone is lying on a call to emergency services, they may feel the need to offer up all these additional details because they want to support their lie. Samantha's love for acting isn't a secret after all.
4: I've always wanted to be an actress. I think it is so much fun. I've been extras in movies. I've had small parts in in uh, like short films and I've done plays. I think it is, so much fun and it is so beautiful. It is the, one of the most amazing forms of art ever to be able to express yourself that way. I think it's amazing.
3: Members of the Titus County Sheriff's Office respond to the crime scene shortly after 2 a.m. Immediately, an investigation into the violent home invasion and kidnapping of Ernie Ibera Jr. is launched. The following footage is raw body cam footage recorded by Corporal Chris Durant and Deputy Ed Godoy just minutes after the twisted crime took place.
1: Sheriff's office. Come on, I'm upstairs. I'm sorry, sir.
6: Sorry. Okay. There Are you still I'll talking on, with please. Sheriff? She
2: told me that I have to stay here. <coughs> okay. no,
6: she told her you're about. here. I did. Okay. She still puts she on She said she still
2: has a few questions for me before I can get off. Yeah, Let you. me have it, and I'll Bye. take
5: care of it. And you talk to them. Okay.
2: Okay. Okay.
7: So walk me through what happened.
2: I don't honestly know what happened. I was in bed asleep, and we heard a noise, and the second I was able to open my eyes, somebody grabbed me and jerked me out of the bed and slammed me down on the ground and started tying me up and put an abdomen to me and told me, don't move. Okay. They were punching me over and over and over and and just keep fighting back, and I was just letting them do it. And...
3: What's your husband's name?
2: Ernest Ibera.
3: Ernest Iberra? Okay. The officer is conducting a typical investigatory field interview at this point. However, these statements can be admissible in legal proceedings. The body camera footage can be reviewed by investigators and inconsistencies discovered between initial contact and later interrogation. One of
2: them did say the name Luke. But that's it. That was all. It's only identifying anything of God. One of them said, Hey, look. And the guy turned, but that's the only identifying anything
3: of God. Samantha changing her voice to imitate the alleged intruder may be an attempt to dramatize the attack in order to make it appear more believable. Although her voice is emotional, she doesn't actually express much concern about Dagon and instead seems focused on telling the story about everything that happened to her. It's discovered that Dagan's phone was also taken by the assailants.
2: They, did, they took his phone, but they didn't take mine. I had mine hidden. Uh-huh. So I was able to... So he's got his phone? No, they have his okay, phone. That's what
7: I'm talking about. What's his phone number? Huh? Why, I
2: have need that phone. number. Get that number from They cut my shirt off. And then after they made me stand there naked, mm-hmm. in front of him, threatening to do things to me, mm-hmm. the guy said, I were, can't
7: do it. You were outside or here inside? I stuff. was in the living room. The living room? When They took okay. me to the
2: living room. They, he said, get you a shirt and get it quick, because mm-hmm. I'm not this type of person. Mm-hmm. So I started rummaging through my closet. He said, I said, get it quick, and pushed the knife against my throat. So mm-hmm. I just grabbed whatever shirt okay. and put it on.
7: Okay. But he and, grabbed
2: my shirt and he started cutting it. And he cut it down the, the collar and then he what, said... What's your name? Samantha.
7: Samantha. Wolford. 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 Where's that shirt at? Is it downstairs? It's what color is it? It's gray sweater. Gray sweater? Okay. That's
2: what I was sleeping
7: in. Okay. Yeah, I've got... Uh, the
3: front door's been been kicked in. As he dictates details of the crime scene to dispatch, Samantha handles her own urgent business. She sends out a text message that reads as follows.
7: Hey, uh, this is what we need to do. I need to do an emergency uh, phone ping. On the, yeah, and I've got the cell phone number.
3: The phone service company is immediately contacted and hopes that the position of Dagan's phone can be traced and lead law enforcement to his location before it's too late.
7: Was the spray paint already on the walls?
2: Yeah, somebody broke in over uh, Christmas time, or over the, uh, Halloween time, and did that. And he's already been out here once over this. Okay. They cut his hair off, is I don't
7: this, know why. Is that, is that's, that, his hair.
2: that's his hair? That's <laughs> yeah, his hair. Okay. And he said... <laughs> And you
7: said those are the pants he, said, he had on?
2: He said you're gonna want something of your husband and chirped a piece of his hair off and threw it on the okay. floor. And
7: you said those are his pants that he had on? Yeah.
2: Where's
7: the What's the sweater you had on?
2: I think that's it on the dining room floor. Or on the chair.
7: On the chair? It's a it's got a all over it. Okay. I said I got another car pulling up. Let me go see who this is.
2: Due to the fact that I was dialing with my nose. Hey,
7: just stay out there for just a second for me, okay? Can I go over? Well let's 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 get this checked out real quick. Cause right now this is the most important thing, you know? Let's get this get this all figured out.
2: I don't see how me writing a statement is in the crucial hours of you finding rest.
7: It is, because I mean, there may this may help you trigger something to help us. You know? It's at
5: 2 a.m. There's something from .86 miles from a resident in Pittsburgh.
3: You know anybody in Pittsburgh? Marine, contact, uh, Pittsburgh. Samantha does, in fact, know someone in Pittsburgh, as it just so happens as the deputy continues to gather information from samantha the corporal speaks with samantha's mother rosie and samantha's aunt ginger hey, how you doing
7: Just fine. Uh, uh you're the one that they found her
5: yes sir. she's the one that found her i'm the one she called
7: okay so she called you first she
5: called me okay bound and gagged and then she called me we, we live in Winfield. Do
7: we have any idea where her husband is? That's what we're trying to
2: figure out. I'm assuming it has something to do with people that would be part of circle. That's the only thing I could possibly put together is that it had something to do with people that knew.
3: Samantha says that the intruders name someone she knows as the reason for the attack on her husband. For this person's privacy, as they were never proven to be involved in the case, we have redacted their name throughout. Samantha will continue to bring up this person's name throughout the investigation. Samantha sends out yet another urgent text message at 3.19 a.m. reading, At this time, Investigator Chris Bragg arrives at the scene, and the corporal begins to bring him up to speed. Interestingly, the investigator is immediately skeptical. So they've got a pretty volatile past, and we've arrested him before. Yeah, solving her and
8: infant, and make sure you know, she didn't do something to him and then stage the scene to make it look like something
3: happened. The investigator is developing what's called a theory of the case. This is the same theory of the case work that a prosecutor will do in order to paint a picture of the criminal activity, linking physical evidence, statements, and circumstantial evidence to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt
2: down and he had cuts on the top of his head and they had him kneeling right here and it cut part of his tear
6: off.
3: After a brief search of the first floor, the corporal then guides the investigator to the staircase that leads to the bedroom where the attack began. So they kick the door and they come up these stairs uh-huh. and
8: get before they're yeah. going to know what's going on.
7: that's the only part that's getting me is how do you they would have to either be familiar with the place to be able to do all that and know where they were asleep.
3: And the babies are asleep in there. Both members of the sheriff's office observed that the conditions in the home are not ideal for children to live in after viewing the area where all five children lay sleeping, though the body cam doesn't capture a clear view. Pitiful conditions. Yeah.
7: I'm not really seeing a whole lot of blood,
3: though, for somebody that was pistol whipped. The investigator proposes they have Samantha come upstairs to provide more specifics.
4: I haven't seen or anything. All that I don't know what's
2: going on or what have possibly got himself
4: tied in. Cause this, but they kept saying, cause this, cause this asking for compensation,
3: $20,000. Remember this. It'll be important later on in the story. The, uh,
8: if you
3: would just
8: hold out her, so I'm gonna go get some
3: evidence bags. And I'll be right back. I'm gonna grab
2: my camera, I'll be right back. Are you guys trying to accuse me of something?
3: No. Her story immediately falls apart here, though Samantha's reaction is typical of someone caught in a lie. However, this is why all subjects under questioning should request counsel and refuse to answer questions. Police motives are not frequently known, though it's common to start with a large pool of suspects and eliminate them, rather than start with an empty pool and try to add likely suspects. This means you're immediately classified as a suspect or material witness until proven otherwise during the investigation phase.
4: What kind of gun is up? A Glock. Standard issued or? Mm-hmm. Can I see it? Mm-hmm. Can I see it?
7: Can you take it out? No, then I gotta do paperwork.
4: Really? I just was gonna see comparatively to the gun they had. I don't know guns, but the gun he had wasn't very big or his hand wasn't very small, one or the other fit pretty closely to his hand size.
3: This is a very odd request given the circumstances. It's noteworthy that in the midst of Samantha's chit chat with the officer, she doesn't appear to stress that her husband is missing. It's possible that this is her attempt to be friendly and distract the officers from the situation, since she may believe at this point that police may consider her a suspect. What them
4: kept saying took someone from us the only thing I can figure is they're saying like narked on someone. They said something about now he's behind bars.
3: Time to go to bed last night.
4: Around
5: eleven.
3: Just a couple hours before the invasion occurred. Next time she'll have a different answer to the question. How old are your babies? youngest. One.
7: You got four? Five. Five? They were in there squirming a minute ago.
3: Hmm? Investigators are doing their thing. Samantha doesn't seem overly concerned about her children, but it seems she's already growing impatient with the investigation. Little does she know, this is just the very tip of the iceberg. At 610 AM, just a few short hours after the violent home invasion and abduction of Samantha Wolford's husband Dagan, she arrives at the Titus County Sheriff's Office in northeastern Texas. It's here that the disturbing story will start to unfold.
4: Crowd go to sleep.
3: Samantha places a call to her mother, but displays almost no emotion during the course of the conversation. She appears very self-centered and her behavior is quite strange for a woman whose husband is missing. Biscuits
4: and gravy, no sausage. Biscuits and gravy, no sausage and french fries.
3: Samantha gives her mother a food order over the phone. It's surprising she has an appetite at a time like this. She lays on the floor, which is very childlike, and is an unexpected behavior for an adult. Samantha consistently acts like more of a high school student rather than an adult mother of five. Chris, the investigator, enters the room. hope oh, you heard
8: anything? Mm-hmm. Still, still
4: working with things.
8: that's it for me.
4: I feel like there's something he hasn't been telling me, but I don't know what.
8: What's your feeling tell
4: you? To I think it's something to do
8: with
5: What
4: do you think it would be going on? With? I hate, and I'm usually right, and I hate that, but... I have a problem with getting involved in things that you don't need to be getting involved
3: with. Samantha seems to be setting up a potential motive as to why the attack and kidnapping may have occurred. She continually brings up the same person in her speculations about what may have happened. Is she using any drugs? No. What
4: about you? Yeah, and I can take a test right
3: now. This is a convincing statement, which can be a red flag for possible deception. When someone is being truthful, they're more likely to just provide a straightforward denial. However, when someone is lying, they often feel some anxiety about whether they will be believed or not. So they may add on these types of convincing statements to support their lie. So you
8: have, have you had plans you did mm-hmm. No. Never been involved in this one.
3: It. It's interesting that Samantha states she's never been a drug user. However, David Smith, a former friend of both Dagan and Samantha, alleges otherwise. Because there was one
7: that come out there that drove a little sl- a silver Jeep Liberty. He was supposed to be some kin to her, supposedly. But, uh, I found out later from Jeremy
3: Rule that he was her pill dealer. Needless to say, Samantha's credibility is becoming increasingly questionable.
8: Yeah.
4: You know about what time it was when you went to bed? I looked up at the clock and it was like 12 or 1 and I was like, yeah, you've got to get to bed because you have to be up in five and a half hours. Sure.
3: Samantha says she and Dagan went to bed at midnight, contrary to the 11 o'clock time she gave a responding officer at the scene of the crime, as you may recall. Already, her story is beginning to change. What's your first memory
4: of what's going on Well, I took an ambulance, so it makes it a little harder for me to wake up. Mm-hmm. And I have a prescription with me if you want to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I can't sleep, it supposed to shut your brain out so you can go to sleep, but also make it
3: to where you can wake up fairly easy. Samantha gives two more inconsistent statements back to back. When someone gives inconsistent statements, it can be a red flag that someone is lying. After telling one lie, there are likely additional lies that must be told to support the original lie. It can be difficult to keep track of everything they've already said, so liars may get tripped up on details and give conflicting information. It's possible that after she made the first statement about having a hard time waking up, she may have been worried about how that made her look, especially being a parent to five young children. She may be trying to backtrack because she wants to be viewed in a good light so that her story about Dagon is believed. Of course.
4: I remember at some point it was a little after one. I saw the clock. Maybe on my phone. So it, it's still pretty foggy because it's fairly early to wake up after taking a sleeping pill.
3: Nothing adds up, considering she'd taken a prescription sleeping pill and was woken up suddenly. She shows little emotion and talks as if she's reading from a script. Individuals who've been traumatized rarely remember details in this way. Of course, this could be explained as Samantha trying to give the investigator as much information as possible in an attempt to find her kidnapped husband. However, the fact that Samantha has repeatedly given confirmation to the investigator that he can double check her story, such as verifying her ambient prescription, suggests that Samantha is trying to preemptively dismiss any suspicions the investigator might have about her story.
2: They said, You want to have to kill her, too? And he said, No, please don't. Please don't. How are my kids? And they hit him in the mouth. Are my kids okay? And they hit him in the mouth, and he said, We wouldn't f- touch a child. And this blood out of his mouth. I don't know if it was a tooth or if it was just spit or blood. This flew out of his mouth because they had the lights on down there, and that's when they started cutting my clothes off and making me stand in front of him naked.
3: This part of the story seems to be fabricated. The sweater she claimed to have been wearing had no obvious cuts.
8: She didn't recognize the I, did, I
2: tried. I tried listening to everything. They forced him to tell me not to call the police. And he said, don't call the police. And they punched through the mouth with, with the gun and said, that's not what I said for you to tell her. He said, please tell me what to say again. Please just repeat it. So they repeated it. And I couldn't understand what they were saying because they were so close to his face and growling in his ear. He said, Sam, don't call the police. I don't care what happens. Don't call the police because they'll come back and they'll kill all the kids. <laughs> promise me. And he was screaming at me. I was like, I promise. I
3: promise. However, the five children nearby remained asleep through all of the chaos. The police, as well as Samantha's aunt, will scrutinize this assertion later. Are you said something about some money?
8: Or-
2: yeah. He said, what do I have to do? Please don't tell me what I have to do. And he said, $20,000, you want want to know what you have to do? Can you come up with $20,000 in the next five minutes? And he's kind of laughed.
8: What did the handgun
2: look like? It was just black. I don't know
4: anything about guns.
8: Could you you know the difference between like
4: a revolver and an automatic? Oh, it was definitely like a police pistol. It was a, whatever those are. Semi-automatics. It wasn't. A, it was small, barely bigger than his hand.
3: You may recall that she had specific questions for the corporal at the crime scene.
4: What kind of gun is that?
3: Huh?
4: What kind of gun is
3: that? The Glock. The investigator now shifts the conversation to a different aspect of routine investigation. It could very well be that this is where things start moving in an undesirable direction for Samantha.
8: So you, actually, you two weren't fussing, you weren't yeah. fighting, you didn't get out of hand, you didn't punch him, kick him, stab him, shoot yeah. him, nothing like that. I'm not going to find out anything any different later once yeah. we get there because the deputies, you know, they're out there right now, you know, basically searching your house from top to bottom for every piece of physical evidence that we can yeah. find to do. Anything
4: that will help them fight him.
3: It could be a red flag that there appears to be a verbal and nonverbal disconnect here. She's shaking her head no while giving her permission for detectives to search her house. Partway through this statement, she switches to nodding her head yes, possibly realizing that she made a mistake.
8: Well, I should say, that's why I want to make sure, because we're going to be checking your phone records, your family's phone records.
3: Normally, when the police want to search something, the Fourth Amendment requires them to obtain a search warrant. Otherwise, the search is unconstitutional and the evidence they obtain will be tossed out of court. However, the police can obtain certain types of records without a search warrant. For example, the police could get a suspect's call records from their phone company. Normally, this record will only show the police what numbers a person called and at what time.
8: I need to know the truth. You know, I have to absolutely know the truth that you had no possible involvement in this whatsoever. No. You love her? I do.
2: I wouldn't have gone back if I
8: didn't. What are are you willing to do to help me find him?
2: It, whatever it takes. Do
8: okay. you don't know where he is? No, I don't.
2: I wish I did. You're positive. I'm positive. You have
8: absolutely no idea where he's at.
2: No, I don't. Do
8: you know who we can call to find where he's at?
2: The what? only one
4: I can think is because they kept bringing him up.
3: But other than that, do you have no idea? Other
4: than that, I have no idea. None.
3: Her palms go up in the rogatory position, which indicates that she may lack confidence in her statement. Palms up while making a declarative statement is seen as a big red flag because it suggests the person is pleading with the other person to believe them and may be unsure in what they're saying.
4: He doesn't have any friends. I don't go out much. The one friend that I do really have lives in Silver Springs. I don't like drama. I don't like having outside chaos, so I just stay home. I'm just a stay-at-home mom.
3: Samantha continues to attempt to steer the investigation towards the same person she named. She portrays herself simply as a stay-at-home mom. However, her homemaking skills seem to be lacking based on the condition of her house. As the police observe, the environment in the home is obviously not fit for children. In a report later drafted by investigator Chris Bragg, who is currently questioning Samantha, vivid details of the terrible conditions in the Ibera household are laid out. The rooms are unclean and unsanitary, with trash, urine, feces, clothes, and dirty diapers scattered on the floor.
4: I'm obsessed with, like, making sure an animal is being taken care of the way it deserves to be taken care of. They're like children. They can't take care of themselves.
3: Chris describes the children as dressed in dirty clothes and appearing not to have been bathed recently. We pick back up as Chris continues to press Samantha.
4: Well, and I'm watching this guy punch in the face with a guy over, over. No, making... it out. Horrible. Okay. So I was hysterically blowing. So didn't didn't
8: didn't Make you feel glad or no. Torture? No. because
4: you told me that you felt good about, you know, wanted to stab him, kill him. At some point in time, everybody loses their temper, but have I ever acted out and hurt anybody? No. And you can look at my record on
3: that. When she says, you can look at my record, this is what is known as a convincing statement. When someone is lying, they may make statements such as this that sound compelling in order to convince the other person. However, someone who's telling the truth is less likely to use convincing statements because the facts are on their side.
4: I have one kind of criminal mischief and that was because I tossed my keys to somebody and let them use my car. Sure. And they didn't have a license.
8: Now when they cut your shirt off, I mean,
4: was it violent or did they just yes. take their time? and just? No, well they jerked it out and started slashing at it with this apparently dull box cutter. And then when it didn't work, ripped it off over my head and threw it to the side.
8: So it wasn't completely cut in half? Or
4: no, they started cutting um, like they were going to cut it down or across, yeah. and the blade wasn't working, so they said, and ripped it off over my head. Hmm.
8: But, but as far as tonight, you had nothing to do no.
4: with the experience.
8: You don't know who did anything to do experience. No. You're positive about that. To- yes. Well, what I need you to do for me is... Uh, Make me a list of everybody, you know, friends, family, contact numbers, um, his boss, where he works at Little Caesars, his boss where he works at the Talco Woodcraft.
3: The investigator exits the room and leaves Samantha to her list. A few minutes later, Sheriff Tim Ingram enters the room and tries his hand at getting to the truth with Samantha.
0: And this is why that it's very important, honey, that we want you to be honest, because I'm going to tell you what, the evidence we found on the scene its just not matching I don't think you I don't think you harmed this boy. But I think you know who did. Because if somebody gonna kidnap him, why is there his blood in y'all's pickup? Kidnappers ain't gonna use their pickup to do something with him and then put him out there and put him in the truck and haul him back.
4: In his pickup? his yeah. blood.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody it's, it's apparent to me that somebody <laughs> used to in truck.
3: When someone is feeling especially anxious, their mouth and throat may become drier, which can lead to increased throat clearing, swallowing or coughing. If any of these behaviors start or increase suddenly, it can be a sign to detectives that they're on the right track and need to question the suspect further. Samantha's cough here could be related to this. She may be panicked about the news that blood was found in his truck, and the cough is an attempt to reduce the discomfort and dryness she feels in her throat.
0: Take him somewhere. He was assaulted at y'all's
4: house. I told him that they got into his truck because they wanted his ID because they said they needed to verify 100% they had the right person is what they said. I don't know if they were one of the people that hit him or not. They sent somebody out to the truck to get his wallet to check his ID. Came back in and said yes, he is who he is, says he is. Okay, but they
0: still don't explain why his blood is in that truck.
4: They hit him in the face like a hundred times.
0: Well, no, but you said they went out and did it and got it. He was never supposed to be in that truck.
4: If he had, if they had blood on their hands and um, no in the truck, no,
0: it's drip blood. It's not It's drip blood? Yes, it's the, he was in that truck. And this is what's gonna look so bad is is from from your story and this is this is why you don't you don't have to be a suspect
2: and, and I still don't think you did it. I don't think you're strong enough to, to do it.
0: But I I personally I think you're scared. I don't know if you had a boyfriend that he mm-hmm. found out about.
3: The investigator is attempting to establish the existence of accomplices, and from there, the existence of one or more conspiracies.
0: I didn't have a boyfriend. Okay. Um, I don't know what the deal is, but but, but Sam, you you have got the uh, kids in the same
3: room. That. It's telling that Samantha says she's being as honest as she can. This may be another convincing statement. It sounds reasonable, but someone who's telling the entire truth likely wouldn't feel the need to make claims about being an honest person. In addition, Samantha's statement here may have some level of truth to it. She's being as honest as she can be without incriminating herself. Adding on, as I can, may be an exclusion qualifier, which allows her to tell the detective some of what happened while withholding information about her specific role in the crime.
0: There's just the whole layout of your house and the way you said they took him, um it's just it's honey it's just not making sense.
3: The interrogator is doing a good job of appearing neutral. Despite the evidence pointing to Samantha being dishonest with him, he makes it out as if he is on her side. The more she trusts the detective, the more likely she will be to confess. Okay. All right,
0: we'll finish statement right before we'll like we like okay? You need
4: something to drink? i he you left with my phone? Where did he take that?
0: Well, we've got a search warrant for your phone. That phone's gonna be ours for a while. Because the calls, every call you've made probably in the past year, we're gonna we're gonna have to look at. Okay. Through a text message or thing, so we've got a search warrant for your phone. Okay?
4: Okay. I'm telling you everything I know. I'm repeating everything
0: they've said. Okay, okay. Well just just go ahead and do you you your statement. We'll get
4: back with you mean, okay? you, can, you can look at my record. I'm not somebody that gets into trouble.
0: Sit right there and tell me the same story, just like you're telling me. And, oh, they try to convince me. And in the end, when the evidence come in, they sit there and we go along they were lying. Like, we know how long the
3: story was made up. Detectives want suspects to think they know more than they actually do, or that they're about to find some crucial piece of evidence, leaving suspects panicking about how much police actually know. Investigators want suspects to feel the time pressure to confess, implying that it's in the suspect's best interest to do so before it's too late.
2: I will be the first person to come
3: forth because I want it out. So how, how, well,
0: let me ask you, how did you call for help if you tied up?
2: I used my nose.
0: So they didn't take your phone in. They left your phone there. They but asked me it.
2: if I had a phone,
4: and I told them no. And they asked him, so how'd you I get no. it I a
0: phone. no. How would you get to it? I
4: wiggled on my side. Where was, I was it? The room. Where, where, where was I it? was on this side of the upstairs, and it was shoved up underneath the edge of the bed on this side of the upstairs.
1: Who, who did you call me?
4: My mother was the first number on my call list. I just used my face. And
0: So instead of calling 911 for help, you called your mother?
4: How do you press 911 with your face?
0: Well, how did you dial your mother with your face?
4: I didn't dial my mother. I just pushed the first thing that was on there. It just happened to be my mom.
3: Although Samantha may believe this is a reasonable explanation, you'll encounter another witness who will tell the sheriff's office that they observed Samantha with her phone simply laying on her lap in the aftermath of the attack. Next, the sheriff wants to hear about what's been going on in Samantha's personal life.
0: Well, now, now see, here, here's something else I don't understand. Maybe you help explain it to me. You talked about how much you love Ernie, right? Mm-hmm. But though you're talking to Brian, you're talking to Alan. Um, I'm not allowed to you. have
4: friends because I'm oh, married.
0: Oh no, mm. <laughs> no, not that kind of friend. When people like you, huh? No, do you think that's normal for married people to? In
4: have the world like nowadays, that? in general, I think more people are age. I wish I could marry somebody like my dad. He's great to my mother. There's nobody else ever that could turn his eyes from her. He's the perfect husband. God knows I didn't marry anyone. He cheated on me more than once. And I think every once in a while to hear that I'm beautiful and to hear that I am an attractive person and that I am not the most horrible person in the world, it's nice.
3: This could be an attempt to not only justify her actions and talking to other guys, but it could also be a deliberate attempt to portray her husband in a negative light. She's hinting toward verbal abuse by claiming that he would tell her how horrible she is. This seems especially unusual given the fact that her husband is still missing. Most people would avoid speaking ill of a loved one who's missing or recently deceased. She may be setting up a possible defense if it's later proven that she was involved in his disappearance.
0: Did Ernie ever look at your phone?
4: Yes, all the time.
0: Did he say those messages where you've been talking to them guys? Yeah. What did he say?
4: Nothing. He didn't particularly like it, but after what he put me through, he told me as long as I didn't bring anything home or do anything at the house, then he didn't want to hear about it, he didn't want to know about it. I told him, I'm not cheating on you. Yeah, these guys tell me I'm beautiful, and they tell me that I'm, you know. And I go out to my mom's house, and I go to the bar, and I go dancing.
3: Earlier, Samantha claimed that she didn't go out much and was just a stay-at-home mom. Now that detectives are questioning her about the guy she was talking to, she suddenly changes her story. She may have given the first statement because it supported the narrative she was trying to weave, about how she was a homebody who didn't know anyone who could be involved in her husband's disappearance. However, now that detectives have evidence of her text with other guys, she needs to support this new narrative.
4: And yeah, I may have a little too much to drink and someone says, hey, can I have your number? And I may give it to them, but that's as far as it goes.
3: Samantha seems preoccupied with others recognizing her as beautiful, given her repeated use of the word to describe herself. This could be a possible indication of her having narcissistic traits.
4: Anyway, sorry, like this little button came up on the corner of my screen and I pushed it and now my lighting is different and it's making my face look all splotchy and I don't know that I like it. I'm a little vain, I guess.
3: A narcissist requires excessive admiration. She may have felt like she didn't get the recognition from her husband that she felt entitled to. So she sought out that attention from other men.
0: Hey, in your in your statement, you might want to just go ahead and write in there after you talk about what happened that. You might just want to talk about and put in there that you have been friends with. Because who's to say one of these guys didn't set it up to try to get you where you're single and I can come in and get you? And just use that
4: as a point. See, and that's what I'm saying. I may know something without even realizing yeah. I know something.
3: The detective is laying groundwork for the theme development stage of the Reed technique by suggesting that one of the men who was interested in her had something to do with her husband's disappearance. If she can admit to this possibility, it will be easier for her to later admit to having knowledge of it and then eventually to her confessing that she was actively involved. When the sheriff mentions that perhaps one of her male acquaintances set this up to make her single, she grasps at this idea as another motive. She may be realizing her story and acting aren't going over as well as she'd imagined. Once again, she's the victim. It seems she'll do anything to deflect attention from herself.
4: In October, things blew up. He laid his hands on I put criminal trespass on him, on his sister, because she was acting crazy and harassing me. My friend David Smith had talked to me earlier, said he might come by later that night. I told him it was probably not the best idea. Why, are going to be there? Um,
0: Who's this David Smith?
4: He called in and reported that the, that he was there. Then, when he realized that I intended on giving him the chance to be the better person he says he's going to be, and to go through the criminal trespass or the uh, anger management courses and go through and do what he says he's going to do, and I'm going to give him that chance out of home on his own without having a judge to force him to do it.
0: So Ernie's or, a lot of angry issues. Yes, is, he, is he jealous? Severe. Yes. Is he, is he very severe. jealous of
3: you? This is different than what she said earlier about how Ernie told her she could do whatever with whomever as long as it wasn't at their house. Samantha appears to enjoy being in the role of the damsel in distress and having David Smith and these other men come and save her from her allegedly abusive husband. This is another example of Samantha's need for attention, which is common among individuals with narcissistic personality disorder.
4: Yes, David Smith hit him up because me and him had been hanging out. I hadn't intended on ever hearing from Dagon again Ernie. I had never intended on speaking to him again. He cheated on me and he laid his hands on me. I was done. Well, his sister talked talked his way back in. He said, he said, he loves you, blah, blah, blah. He wants to be with you. Well, I was on a Skype conversation with him and David was at the house and he
0: heard it. What did he do?
4: He got freaking furious and started freaking out on me and treating me like crap and threatening me. David, this guy that was a friend, and only a friend, wanted to be with me. And when he realized that I had intended on going back to my husband, he freaked oh. out. By, I,
0: need, by I need to find out where David lives. If you say he lives close to you, I need to find out where he lives at. Peter, Hey, uh... There is one other way that we can make you absolutely sure and clear you. Uh, we can give you a polygraph test.
4: Would you mind me speaking to my mother before I completely agree to that?
0: Um, well, but now if you have nothing to have, why wouldn't you want to talk to your mama?
4: Because. It's nothing against you personally, but just cops in general, you hear such negative things and how they are not out to help you, and CPS is the same way, and I just kind of want to get my mom and dad's opinion on if it's in my best interest.
0: You know what? You know what I think? I think it's not going to be long. I think they're locking your butt up what I think. I, I think you've been lying to me this whole thing. You did get them right. I think you're a liar of what I think. I think you know exactly who did this, and I don't mind your freaking story for a minute. That's what I think. So i tell you what let's do. Let's just get on with it.
3: It seems that the interrogator's anger is an intended tactic here. It evokes the desired reaction from Samantha, but it can also be a setback to the overall interrogation's progress. Any trust created is now gone, this is a change-up used only when there is overwhelming evidence against the suspect. Hearing this, Samantha may be experiencing the freeze response here. Her body is completely still, with her mouth hanging open. When someone senses danger, such as Samantha realizing here that police don't buy her story one bit, they may cease all movement. This is an instinctual response to danger. Movement invites attention, so freezing may make someone momentarily feel like they can lower the spotlight on them.
0: You know, that, that's why I say I've tried to really be honest with you, and, and that's why, and why have, I'm I feel to that up you have done nothing sit here to this whole time. If uh, I'm gonna tell you right now, DPS is damn good. Then if you ain't got nothing to hide, and what bothers me is you even hesitate to take that, knowing it would positively clear you or positively show that you're handsome. But what's going to make you guilty is when we prove that you lied to us in
3: here. The sheriff indicates that lying will essentially make her guilty. This is somewhat misleading. Though, as stated previously, the police are legally allowed to mislead suspects so long as they do not coerce them into a confession. Nevertheless, the inconsistencies between Samantha's statements and the evidence could be used to suggest that she is aware of her own guilt and is using lies to cover it up. Therefore, the investigator is trying to establish knowledge of guilt, or more commonly referred to as consciousness of guilt. This is most often established by circumstantial evidence related to the suspect's actions or inactions after a crime.
4: That is the case that I, I do know who did it and why they did it. Okay. Doesn't that make me like an accomplice? Nope, it sure
0: don't. No, that makes you a scared mother with children.
3: Interestingly, Samantha asked the sheriff about being an accomplice. The law usually treats accomplices just as it would principals, meaning that accomplices can face exactly the same legal penalties. Most states hold a person criminally liable if they aid or abet another in the commission of a crime. The classic example of this is a getaway driver for a bank robbery. Importantly, this is a distinct concept from conspiracy a conspiracy is when two or more people make an agreement to commit a crime, and at least one individual within the group takes some overt act towards committing the crime. In such a case, all conspirators are criminally liable for the conspiracy.
2: <laughs> the only other thing I know, I don't even know, I know. Okay. But it's a suspicion. Okay. <gasps> I mean, I'm in the hospital with my parlor. Okay. She's got a guy there, and I swear to God, I cannot go up there that I said any of this. Okay. (laughs) Because they have a lot of friends around here, and my life will be in a lot of danger. Okay. (laughs) But the only other thing I know is venting to her and talking to her about problems. Like I just told you, I have a problem with talking to my friends about our Mm problems. I don't have any of them. (laughs) So, when I do get with one of my friends, I want to talk about okay. any problems we might have had. And honestly, lately, it hasn't been many. Okay. Um, we have had problems in the past,
4: and I had not seen Charlotte in a long time. Okay,
2: what's wrong
0: with
4: it? She's got this guy in the room with her, and he gets to talking about how a man shouldn't treat a woman that way, and how you don't do those things to a person, okay. and, and, and he's going to deal with the situation. Okay. I didn't take him seriously.
0: Okay, you see, Sam, you know who did this. But that does not make but you look still.
4: But I don't I have any proof that he did. I just have what he said. Okay, what, who and is this guy? His name's John.
0: John
4: who? His Facebook is Rebel, John Rebel. It's uh, John, uh, I don't truly know his last name, but his Facebook says John Rebel.
3: At this point, it seems Samantha's crying could be attributed to the fact that her story isn't yielding the results she'd hoped for rather than because Dagan is missing. This behavior is consistent with her narcissistic tendencies. At this time, Samantha first mentions an acquaintance known as John Rebel. Herein begins a turning point in this complex story as a new persona begins to evolve.
4: Um, He's got a brother named Greg. He's got a really bad history as far as... Who's Greg? I was told he's an informant. I don't know Greg's last name Where does John live? I don't know. Um, I know that he's been staying with Charlotte.
0: So if he did this, who do you think he'd bring with him?
4: I don't know any of his friends. But yesterday at the hospital, he had a guy that I do know from town with him. His name is Tay.
3: Who? Tay? Hey, rhymes? is beginning to let all of the cats out of the bag. In just a few short minutes, she's implicated John Rebel, who will soon be identified as John Sanford, and Tay, whom investigators will learn is a man by the name of Octavius Rhymes. The pace of the investigation is beginning to accelerate and will continue to pick up speed as the disturbing details begin to surface. Did they do
0: something to let you know that there was them inside the house?
2: Not a thousand percent particular, but I'm pretty sure it was him. The height and the, the weight and the way he was talking all okay. gangster. You,
0: and you pull yourself together and get to writing, and we need to arrest these folks and keep them out off the street where they can hurt junior children.
2: There was a third person with him. Okay, who do you think it was? He's got people that's staying with him. Oh, so uh, not rebel? <laughs> we near the hospital to get before, uh-huh. before this happened at my house, yes. Tay was with him, uh-huh. there was another guy, I don't know his name, but he pretty much fits the build of the third guy. There was three people? I, yes, at the house, there was three people. And at the hospital yesterday, you can look at the cameras, there was three people.
0: So they had on a video camera there at the hospital? At the
2: hospital, yes. Okay. There was Tay and that guy and this third party. The one that I said was basically like the ringleader that was bossing everybody around The other two really didn't talk much other than a word here and there. But it was the big guy, the, the third party that was at the hospital.
3: She claims not to have known the third man at the hospital, but she's prepared to shift all of the blame in his direction.
4: The only thing I know about the heavyset dude is they called him Jojo, but they told me that wasn't his name. They said they, I believe they said it was Jose.
3: Samantha reveals quite a bit about this third person. Samantha gives a detailed story about where JoJo lives and knows that everybody calls him JoJo, despite saying just moments ago that she just met these individuals. Also, another significant item to note, do you recall when the corporal at the scene learned of a ping on Dagan's phone from dispatch? He asked Samantha if she knew anyone in Pittsburgh and she had no reply. Well, it turns out she did. Tay and JoJo were both residing in Pittsburgh. She heads out for a smoke break as members of the sheriff's office prepare to head to the local hospital, determined to intercept two suspects that have been frequenting Charla's room for days. Both John and JoJo are apprehended at the hospital at 9.39 a.m. As you'll see, each interrogation will be damning, to say the least. The clock now reads 10.10 a.m., The other party that was picked up at the hospital by the sheriff's office, a man by the name of John Sanford, a.k.a. John Rebel, is seated in the interrogation room. He's dressed in black pants and a black long sleeve shirt. The clothes match Samantha's description of the assailant's dress provided to law enforcement. Clearly, John is quite comfortable here. He may be thinking that if he engages with law enforcement, they'll believe him or go easy on him.
0: You know what this is about, You know exactly what it is. You know what happened at Samantha's house last night. That's what we got to that's what we're gonna talk to you about. Okay? I'm gonna randomize you. You know you're out. you don't have to talk to me if you don't want to, and that's fine. I hope you decide to because I think there's some things you're probably gonna need to tell me. Your side of the story. They you need to see if it's gonna match Samantha's because Samantha, you well know, I'll be honest with you she's pointing the finger at JoJo. She said he was with him. Now do you want to talk to me just a little bit about this? Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you what they're saying first. Because I, I, I think you'll be honest, because uh, our bear is dead. He, he's, he's dead. Uh, but now, um, according to Samantha, you was just a bystander. Why,
3: children beat to living crap over uh, in this room where y'all and collect evidence. Anytime there are multiple suspects involved in a crime, police will want to separate them as soon as possible so they don't have a chance to get their stories aligned. Police may often plant the seed of doubt that the others are implicating them, leaving each suspect with the decision dilemma of whether to confess or remain silent. The detective is also utilizing a read technique here of placing blame on an outside source rather than on the suspect himself. This will make it easier for John to admit his involvement because the detective is building the theme that John was just a bystander and not the main perpetrator. Additionally, in this situation, it's likely that there are no real bystanders from a legal standpoint. Under a theory of accomplice liability, if the prosecution can prove that John aided or abetted the murder of Dagan, John would be in the same legal jeopardy as the person who pulled the trigger.
9: Okay, this all started... Yes, sir. like you said, yeah, we talked to her about her problem with her husband and all that. Mm-hmm. Never did I plot to kill the guy. I have a problem with males hitting females. And I do too. She did say that there's been times it's crossed her mind to do stupid shit, this and that. Like what? Like, basically, like, get somebody to f them off. Like, not kill them, but, like, just beat the out of them set them up, shit like that, right? And I told her, I said, well, damn. I said, you're talking to somebody that could do that, but I wasn't going to, though.
3: John now begins his account of the previous night, beginning with a quick stop at Samantha's house. JoJo had the keys. He was past your seat. front?
9: Yeah, past Who was driving? I drove because... Okay. Who was with you? It was me, JoJo... And the dude in the back seat, I have never seen a day in my life. Except for. I do know. I his name?
3: I, all I know is he was related to Tay. Yeah, because so I think I know who he is. John indicates that someone related to Tay was in the back seat and that Tay wasn't with the three of them in the car.
9: I. Okay, let me rephrase that. I have seen him because I have been running around Pittsburgh. But unless they live on Cypress Street, I don't know who they are. Okay, I got you. Okay, well, go ahead. you you so all three together. So you was driving, but you didn't have the keys. Didn't have the keys, and I really didn't have a choice because I like my life.
3: John seems to be trying to suggest that it was actually JoJo who was directing the scheme and now seems to be implying that JoJo threatened him into driving. Notably, duress can be a defense to some crimes. However, it's typically not a defense to the crime of murder. John gives his rendition of what occurred at the Ibera home.
9: Uh, they go in. Uh, I'm the only person that knows the way out to the house. So JoJo asked me, like, where they, where they sleep at. And I just walked up, stopped, and told him, man, look, upstairs. They ain't go up. I have to go up in the middle. It was JoJo, me, and then the last dude would go up. And that's when all hell breaks loose. Beat the living hell out the dude. Honestly, me personally, I do not believe Samantha really had a hand to playing in it. I think that what she was saying just kind of got too, too far. Okay, so who now? what happened? Who beat the hell out of you? Joe, and the other guy.
3: John is awkwardly using his hands as he talks, despite being handcuffed. People may increase their use of illustrators to make their lies sound more believable or give off the impression that their story is true. Jose Jojo Ponce is in the hot seat. Needless to say, things aren't looking good for Jojo, who's now dressed in orange prison attire.
0: is so Jonathan is uh, uh, really putting—he's putting this whole thing off on you and said that you're the one that wanted
10: to go in there. And he kept saying that you said something about, about, like maybe you had a bad dope deal that went bad. I don't even know, Matter of fact, I specifically told them when she when she told me who her her husband was right there in Octavius' house, mm-hmm. when she told me his name, I, I told her I don't even know who they are. I don't even know him. JoJo said, well,
9: what do you think you can do? You, you think you can come up with 20 grand in five minutes?
3: John mentions that JoJo demands Dagan produce $20,000 within five minutes if he wants to fix things. This is almost exactly what Samantha told the police. This could be because it's true. However, if you watch Samantha's interrogation footage, it's clear that she's trying to paint the incident as drug related.
4: Cause this. Cause this. Asking for compensation
3: $20,000. And this may simply be a story that the group concocted to tell the police. Jojo
9: Yo, Joe me, I right, stay here and watch him. Dude's out cold. I'm talking about folded up and basically like like this all the way. When we got outside the house, they had him up against the truck, and still behind the back, had his face down like this. What part of the truck? The hood of the truck. Okay, that makes sense. That's where, okay.
3: The investigator catches himself here just before he almost lets out a piece of evidence. Retaining key evidence is a way to corroborate testimony and also to tie physical evidence to one or more suspects.
9: They went through the truck, and at this point, when I start thinking, damn, what are they? What the the really going on? Because they put the dude in the back seat. So we go, we leave. As we're going, they tell me, "Go here, go here." I'm driving. We go all the way out to the country. Get out to the country. Next thing I know, they walk off. They're like, go start the vehicle. Go start the vehicle, he throws me the keys. So I'm like, what the f-? So I start walking back to the vehicle, and in my mind process, this is my neck of the woods now. So you know where you're at? Yeah. This is my neck of the woods. So we're going to go out there, me and you. We're going back out there.
0: Uh, because everything you're saying so far is matching 100%. Before I make the vehicle, all I hear is pop. Who's I got the
3: gun? Jojo. Does. Note that John is named Jojo as the trigger man. As you'll see, there won't be a consensus when it comes to this brutal aspect of the crimes.
0: Hey listen, man, they've done they've
10: done everybody's done point to finger to choose being the one to pull the trigger. That's what I'm saying, though, and I didn't. Who who pulled the trigger then? Jonathan.
3: Despite claiming that John pulled the trigger there are still at least two ways in which JoJo could still be criminally liable for the murder. First, under a theory of accomplice liability, if the prosecution can prove that JoJo aided or abetted or had the requisite intent for John's murder of Dagon. Second, if the prosecution can prove that JoJo had entered into an agreement with Samantha or John to carry out the murder, he could be charged with conspiracy to commit murder. The sheriff seems satisfied that he's gathered all pertinent information from John. He leads John out of the room. The next task is the somber duty of locating and recovering Dagan's body. Sheriff Tim Ingram and investigator Aaron Baxter, along with their helpful suspect, John Sanford, depart the sheriff's office as Chief Deputy John Livingston follows closely behind in Aaron's vehicle. Aaron wears a body camera to document the events that are about to transpire. Be forewarned. Things are about to take a drastic turn for the worst as members of the Titus County Sheriff's Office begin to uncover the true horrors that occurred earlier that very morning.
10: Wait, you, you
0: think cuz went to bed after all this? Do you think he's on the bed? I honestly don't know. His, his, uh, who, who won't know who Cuz is other than in case the crib will talk to me? Who's going to know this guy's so going to get him quick before he tries trust to do anything? Uh. Almost anybody in Pittsburgh that really. So that names what everybody calls him, Cuz.
3: The sheriff asked John who will be able to identify the mysterious third party known to us only as Cuz will soon learn his true identity.
1: Yes, yeah, see the body. See that?
8: Yeah. That's him.
1: Definitely did. Okay, what we need to do now... Oh, yeah, he's dead. He's not going to be alive. What we need to do now is
0: two of us need to break off and take him and use a recorder, and let's go
3: get that gun. Sadly, Dagan's body is located at 11.28 a.m. Aaron places a call to the Camp County Sheriff to alert him of the murder within his jurisdiction. Meanwhile, back at the Titus County Sheriff's office, An anxious and fidgety Samantha has returned to the interrogation room. The clock now reads 11.45 a.m. It seems Samantha hasn't been informed that Dagan was located, deceased, approximately 17 minutes earlier. While the members of the sheriff's office are locating the potential murder weapon, Samantha occupies herself by writing on the dry erase board in the interrogation room. Just as Samantha leaves the room as the clock reads 11.58 a.m., Aaron's body camera recording resumes. The sheriff, John the suspect, and the two investigators, Aaron and John, head to the home where the gun is believed to have been stashed. Note that the woman seated on the front step of the home is Lacona Slayton. Her connection to the case will be revealed to you shortly. Hey. Okay, I'm sorry.
8: Hey.
0: Thank you. I
9: appreciate you, man. I need we'll you take in the it for box. a minute, we'll you be done. Stay with me. Like hey, hey, John, where where's that gun no, at? Uh, it was out here, but it's apparently not out here. <coughs> Who got it? Uh, I don't know. Y'all arrested me. Why ain't it out here? I I don't know.
1: <laughs>
9: no, I'm no I swear to no, I got the box, and the box is, I, like is a the okay? of box. So I you already knew the gun was involved. That in. that no, she has no clue. I didn't clue. know about. She me. has no, no clue about nothing. I'm telling y'all that now. So
1: I, I haven't. She has right, no that's proof. I right. know. Here's the, here's the deal. All right. We we need the gun. You could be uh, you could be charged she with the same thing. She would. I
9: know here. what.
1: The, you could be an accomplice to murder, capital murder. That's the death penalty. So if you know where the gun's at, she knows where the gun's at. You she need to go, you need to go ahead I and tell us guns at. I just told you that. Okay, I'm gonna give you one more
0: opportunity. Dude, you can hang me, me. I don't well, know what the goddamn gun, that's gun probably is that. That's probably about to happen because I think you're a liar. I don't
9: care. You've give got a the
0: freaking box, you've got the dead gun gun. Where'd the gun go then? I
1: don't
0: know so why'd you get the box I Don't well, care, man. I didn't choose It's your are you're or you must be about as low life as that husband of yours. He ain't f- husband. Well you right. with him about the same thing. Right. Whatever.
3: The sheriff and Lacona are referring to JoJo here.
0: Oh yeah, you remember enough to come home and get that box that gun in, do you? No, I remember to come home and
6: check the box. <laughs>
3: so
1: the gun's not in the tent?
6: I don't know, go check the tent, I don't know. Is it okay if I
1: check the yes, tent? Yes, it is okay. okay. And where is it at? Right,
8: right behind the house. Okay.
3: After a dramatically heated exchange with Lacona, the sheriff and Aaron head to the tent which currently serves as Lacona's home to attempt to locate the gun. A search in this case does not require a warrant. When someone with a controlling interest gives permission to search a premises, including a tent, it's an exception to the warrant requirement. Back at the sheriff's office, Samantha is again writing on the dry erase board. As a couple of written questions are directed at the sheriff's office, she continues to put on a show. These behaviors are once again very childlike and immature. Oftentimes, individuals with personality disorders will display immature behaviors. In high-stress situations in particular, they often regress, and these behaviors become much more evident. <laughs>
1: There you go, right there. I bet you. See the dope or the gun. Gun. Well, the had his
6: gun. <sighs> why the hell would I tell you to go look uh, in the tent?
1: It wasn't in the tent. Well,
6: I don't know
1: where the. <laughs> all we want is the
8: truth.
6: Man, I'm telling you. All I
2: know is the guy told me that they were suspects in a murder case. The first thing that popped in my head was that f- gun. It was not in the f- box where it was always at. And I don't know what the f- is going on, but I want to f- know. Yeah.
1: Okay, well. Just like the other (laughs) officer told you we're investigating a murder, all right? There was a guy killed last night, he was executed. (laughs) He wasn't supposed to have it, was he? No. Convicted felon or? Yeah. Okay. Obviously, uh, you know that that guy's got a family, and and they're gonna want to know what happened to their their son and father. I mean, the guy's got kids, young kids, and so we just wanna we're just trying to gather the facts up and and get justice for for this guy's family. Is there anything that you can tell me at this point that would help us with our investigation?
6: Other than that. If I think he would have did something like that, yeah, because he's pulled it on me before. He's
1: pulled the gun out on you before?
6: Yeah. All right. No, I've prayed, but damn, I didn't think I was going to split up with him like this.
3: This important piece of information, which was uncovered due to the officer's catch-all question, may explain why Lacona didn't reveal the gun's location. It's possible that if she did know where it was, she kept the location secret for a much different reason than avoiding trouble herself or protecting someone else. Instead, she may have been fearful of retaliation from JoJo if she talked. We've yet to hear JoJo's side of the story, but it's going to be hard to dig himself out of the hole that seems to be getting deeper by the minute. The members of the sheriff's office depart with the recovered weapon that was believed to have been used to execute Dagan. Investigator Aaron Baxter sits down with Lacona on February 24th, just four days after Dagan was killed. During our last encounter with Lacona, when the handgun was retrieved near the tent that served as her place of residence, she seemed to insinuate that her days with JoJo were numbered. However, she initially referred to JoJo as her fiancé at this meeting. It may be that she had a change of heart and decided against ending the volatile relationship after all. As a result, she may be less forthcoming in her interview than the sheriff's office would have hoped.
8: You know, the other
6: day when we were over there with the gun, what made you think that that gun was used to... Just... Uh, you just had a good feeling? I just had that feeling. I just said it was a feeling because... I just... I don't know. It was just a feeling. And you said that Jose had pointed it at you before? You yeah, yeah, in the past, he wouldn't He would, never, he would I mean, when it comes to other people, he's not... He's not mean. He's, he's a coward. When it came to me, it was different. Other folks, he was a coward. He always backed down for five, two, three. And I just don't understand. I don't see... Why? I just don't understand. What? Why? JoJo didn't even know her. As far as I knew, Jonathan was the only one that knew her. Then I found out Tay's known her, Jonathan's known her. JoJo didn't know her, so
3: why why would he even? I don't know. Lacona seems genuinely confused about the conspiracy and why JoJo would participate, seeing as he hadn't met Samantha until the day before the murder. According to future testimony provided by John, the three men smoked methamphetamine while en route to the Ibera household. Perhaps this claim could explain the violent behavior, seemingly uncharacteristic of JoJo.
10: So, why not you, you ever found that gun in my tent? I promise you didn't. Where do you think I found it? I know exactly where you found it, which is in the spot that Jonathan hid it. Jonathan put it there. Seriously? Yes.
3: JoJo seems to believe that by knowing where it had been hidden, he can somehow pin the murder on John.
10: John, the pulls his pistol out and he, he hits him with it.
0: Where'd Jonathan have
10: the pistol at? In his waistband. <laughs> Whose pistol is it?
0: Jonathan's. Where'd he get it? <laughs> Beats me.
3: Clearly, JoJo's story is not agreeing with John's version of events. Most significantly, JoJo claims the gun that was allegedly used to murder Dagan belongs to John, though JoJo is unsure where or how John obtained it. All right, and the gun
6: that we got out from under the house, that's the gun that, I guess, it belonged to Jose. It was mine. It, it was a gift me from him. It was mine. Okay. Most importantly,
3: perhaps, Lacona confirms that the handgun that was recovered near the tent belongs to her and JoJo, not John.
10: What I need to do, I've got... Samantha's version? Samantha is the ringleader. I never met her until yesterday. So you just up there with Charlotte and them, that's when you met? That's when I, right here, sir, I, met, I met Samantha. And um, I met her five kids. Mm-hmm. We all left. We get to Walmart, we're in Walmart for a little bit, all of a sudden uh, Octavius Roms, uh walks up to me. He said, man, I gotta go. I said, why? He's like, my mom just called me and cussed me out and said, I better get the damn car home. So I right, said, well, let me go find Jonathan real quick. Let me ask Jonathan if I can, if uh, he can give us, me and my wife, right home. Back to your house. When Jonathan took me home that afternoon, though, Octavius was home. Octavius ended up leaving with Jonathan. They left together. Me and my wife stayed home. All of a sudden, around the seven or eight that last time they showed back up. This time they showed up with Octavius, Jonathan, Samantha, and her kids. Jonathan pulls me to the side. Take her. I need to talk to you. I don't know what's up. He's like, look, okay. Oh, talk about Samantha. Uh huh. He says Samantha uh, wants us to, you know, do something, and he wouldn't tell me full details until. We went to the place, all of a sudden, he tells me, he said, look, I just need you to stand
3: guard. JoJo describes what is called a criminal conspiracy between himself and John to commit the crime of kidnapping. Another important revelation is JoJo's claim that Tay was a willing participant in the conspiracy, despite Samantha's and John's initial reluctance to implicate him. It turns out that old Cuz was actually Tay all along. Let's hear it straight from the source. Meet Octavius Tay Rimes, whose identity Samantha and John attempted to conceal initially. Tay had requested a meeting with the Titus County Sheriff's Office with the intention of getting a deal in the works. However, Tay was informed that he'd need his lawyer to handle the negotiating with the DA's office. While seated with investigator Wayne Miner, Tay went ahead and pleaded his case.
10: I should have spoke to y'all without a warning, but I, I, I admit to y'all, you know, that I was, in the, I was in the vicinity when they took the dude from his home. but I didn't know. I didn't realize this shit that, that they were planning on doing. So like I said, yeah, I know y'all ran my criminal background history already. I don't have no violent background. I don't have no felonies. I'm no misdemeanors. <throat> no, I've never been in no serious trouble like this ever. You know, so I'm trying to work with y'all, but I can't really give y'all no more information if no there ain't no deal on the table.
3: Striking a deal is quite common in criminal cases, especially those with multiple defendants. Often, the prosecution will offer a more lenient sentence to the accused in exchange for the accused providing information to the police or agreeing to testify against one of the other defendants. However, it's important to note that a criminal defendant cannot make a deal with the police. Only the prosecutors are authorized to make deals with defendants. Therefore, any sort of deal that the police make with Tay wouldn't have any legal effect. Unless, of course, such a deal was approved by the prosecutor's office.
10: I stayed downstairs the entire time. And then, and then, but she whistled. So that means she was downstairs. Because, like I said, me, Octavius, and... Um, How'd she whistle? Was it like a... Like that, or a, Yeah, like that. As I'm saying. She was downstairs. She had to have been. But you didn't see her? No, 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 no. And so who went back in with Jonathan? Jonathan did. And all of a sudden, Jonathan comes back out. And says, "Come here, cause I talk to you." Oh, we walk over here. And he's like, "Uh, her mom just called. Says she's uh that a friend. She's sending a friend over to to see her or whatever. Something like that." He's like, "So she said we got to go. We need to go now."
3: Jojo claims that Samantha told them to move quickly. Records indicate that she called her mother to alert her of the attack, because her mother's home was an hour's drive from Samantha's. She assumed that would give the men ample time to leave the premises with Dagan. What Samantha didn't anticipate was that her mother would send a nearby aunt to her rescue. There's no way JoJo could have known this bit of information if Samantha wasn't in on the ruse. And uh, so
10: we left.
3: They arrive at a secluded area that serves as their destination. Tay's
10: looking at me, I'm looking at him. Jonathan looks back at us. Jonathan pulls it out. He's holding it. All of a sudden, I tell him, man, dude, you're too close, dude. You shouldn't take the man's life, but you're too close to the road. Tane's looking, Tane's like, and you really are. He said, "it's going
3: to be loud. This moment is key, as with this statement, JoJo may have just admitted to being an accomplice to Dagan's murder. By admitting to the sheriff that he told John to move further from the road before killing Dagan... Prosecutors could argue that JoJo attempted to aid John in his murder of Dagan, leaving JoJo equally culpable for it. All
0: right, hold on a second. Bring you go. And, and I'll be right back.
3: While JoJo waits for the sheriff to return, he's well aware that the camera is still rolling. I don't
10: understand how the hell you're going to blame me for the shit that he did. Okay. I went because he asked me
1: for help. So you know what time the, that they took
8: Samantha home?
6: To be honest, I believe it was before midnight, but I couldn't really tell you the time. I don't. I don't remember the times. I think it was before midnight though, because she was talking about how the kids were getting sleepy and she needed to get to the house. Something about her her man was asleep or something, and she didn't want him waking up and getting mad.
3: No question about it, Samantha has been caught in a lie. Cell Tower records give us the real story. Despite Samantha's attempts to deceive law enforcement, her phone wasn't near her home until approximately 10.30 p.m. on February 19th, just a few hours before the invasion. A major development in the case occurs just three days after the murder of Dagan, though it would be a stretch to say it came as a shock. Samantha is arrested and charged with aggravated kidnapping and murder. In the end, the failed conspiracy resulted in lengthy prison terms for all involved. John and Jojo pleaded guilty the following year, in April of 2016. They received 50-year sentences for their roles in Dagan's kidnapping and murder. Months later, in December of 2016, Tay went on trial. It didn't go as he'd hoped, however. He was found guilty of murder and aggravated kidnapping and was sentenced to a total of 93 years. Last but not least came the mastermind behind the whole terribly designed plot. Samantha went on trial for Dagan's murder in September of 2017. Not surprisingly, she was found guilty. She was sentenced to 99 years. In addition, she received another 50 years for the kidnapping to be served consecutively with her murder sentence. To this day, it is still unknown who pulled the trigger and killed Dagan.